So we are no longer on pages 1, 2, and 3 in our Bibles. We have skipped ahead to page 1,157 in the Bibles provided in the chairs. Now, I encourage you, everything between chapter, chapter, I mean, page 3 and this is really good. So I encourage you to make sure to read and study it. But we're focusing in now on the book of Ephesians. I'm very excited to look at this letter. I'm also excited to focus in. The hope is, as we've we've looked at Genesis to get these foundations, this large picture of who God is and his purposes, my hope now, my prayer now, is that we will focus in and, Lord willing, go through this letter to the church in Ephesus every two to focus in on each word, each phrase, and to see the wondrous truth of the glory of God's grace. The glory of God's grace. As we go through the book of Ephesians, we will learn that that is the purpose of everything. The purpose of everything. Now you know, as we go through the book of Ephesians, if anyone asks you, what is the meaning of life? Or why am I here? Or why does this happen? Or why does God allow that? Or you will now have the answer to all those questions. Isn't that exciting? You can just say this. This happened, or why we exist, or why there is anything, is because of the glory of God's grace. It's the purpose of everything. So as we go through the book of Ephesians, we will see how that is first and foremost for the Apostle Paul to this church, to every church, and to us believers now. So this week we're going to focus in on Ephesians 1, just verses 1 and 2. First two verses of the book of Ephesians. So I'll go ahead and read that now. Ephesians 1, starting at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Father, we are so grateful that again we have this opportunity to look to your word. Father, we pray that you will give each and every one of us here wisdom and discernment, that you would guide us into your truth, You would help us to better understand your word and that you would transform our lives to live accordingly. In Christ's wonderful name, amen. Already we have a challenge. Already I have read two verses that you could spend your entire life 
trying to grasp the full meaning of. Not only your entire life, I've just read two verses that if you're in Jesus Christ, if you're saved, if you have faith in him, you will have eternity to grasp and learn and understand what is spoken in these first two verses of this letter to the church in Ephesus. It's amazing, amazing truths, amazing statements in the faith. So it's my hope and prayer that we will go through word by word, phrase by phrase, and you'll see here this is laying the foundation for the truths that the Apostle Paul is going to be laying out for us throughout the rest of the letter. But you have to understand something about the Apostle Paul as he begins here. Paul and Apostle. Paul and Apostle. And I want you to go to Acts chapter 20. Go to Acts chapter 20, starting at verse 18. So here's a crucial little section of Scripture in Acts that's going to help us to understand Paul's heart, his passion, his desire, and the work that he carried out on behalf of Jesus Christ as an apostle with this church. So here you get a little glimpse on his time. We understand that Paul spent around three years in the church in Ephesus. He taught. He went in public. He went house to house. He preached and taught every day. He encouraged and lifted up the gospel. He preached to Jews. He preached to the Gentiles. He preached to every human being that he could. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And he made the most of every opportunity in those three years. So here we get a little glimpse of the Apostle Paul when he was active and engaged in ministry in Ephesus. And it's Acts chapter 20. And when they came to him, he said to them, so this is when the Apostle Paul meets with elders from Ephesus on his way to Jerusalem where he's going to be imprisoned. So this is, he says, this is his last time to see these elders in Ephesus. So this is part of what he conveys to them. And when they came to him, he said to them, this is Acts 20, verse 18. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears, and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. What a beautiful statement. So there you see a summary where the Apostle Paul is summarizing 
the work that he did with this church that now he's sending this letter to. Now that he is in prison, Paul is in prison, and he's sending this letter to these people that every day in public from house to house, whether it be to Jew or to Gentile, he lifted up the gospel of Jesus Christ. He preached repentance, that we are sinners, that we need salvation, that we cannot save ourselves. The law can't save us because none of us can obey the law completely. Our works cannot save us because any of our works done in and of ourself and in our strength have mixed motives and are contaminated with sin. We can't obey the law perfectly. We can't earn our salvation with God because we cannot be perfect. Therefore, we need a Savior. So in verse 21, he says, he testified both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God. Once you realize that you cannot save yourself, you cannot obey the law perfectly, you cannot earn your way to God's favor because we are all fallen, we are conceived in sin and live as rebels, live in hatred toward God until God would make us alive to obedience and faith in him. So that's what this repentance is. This repentance is where Paul is preaching, both to Jews and Greeks, that you must come to know your sin and know your dependence. That you turn away from your sin and cry out, help me. That's the theme of the, the first and second songs that we sang in our open worship time. The first one, oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. You're in a boat. The, it's a storm. It's a category five hurricane. And you need God because the boat is going under if it wasn't for his grace and love. Then the third song, love lifted me. You've been thrown out of the boat. You're sinking to the depths of the sea. Because of your sin and rebellion and hard heart toward God, you don't even have the boat to protect you. You need God to extend his arm, take hold of you, and pull you up out of the waves into his love and into his truth. That's what Paul preached to the people of Ephesus. Whether it was Jew or Gentile, free slave, male, female. It didn't matter their social, economic, political. It didn't matter their language, their culture, their background. None of those things mattered. Why? Because there is one gospel for all people who ever have lived, are alive, and ever will live. Whether they're in Mississippi, whether they're in the Ukraine, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because everyone needs the one gospel. Jesus Christ, Him crucified, Him 
buried, him raised again, and him coming back. That's the gospel that every single person needs to hear. So that's that repentance toward God. Repentance, you cry out, Lord, save me. Lord, I'm a dead. Make me alive. Lord, help me. This is repentance. Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry. I know that when I sin, I sin against you and you alone. Forgive me. Heal me. Save me. This is repentance. This is the cry of our hearts when we realize we're in trouble. And we are absolutely, completely dependent on what God has done in Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to make us alive. So this is repentance. So verse 21 again, it says, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith. Faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance, we turn away from our sin. We cry out to God. We need rescue. We need to be forgiven. We need our sins to be cleansed. And now faith where we trust and believe that in Jesus Christ, we have been forgiven. We now have life. We've been made alive. That our sins have been imputed, have been given to him, and his righteousness has been imputed, given to us. This this transfer of grace, God's grace, because the wages of sin is death. But the free gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus, his son. This free gift. Faith itself is a gift. Repentance is a gift leading us to trust and believe in Jesus Christ for everything. So that is the message. Acts 20 verse 21 is the heart of the message with the Apostle Paul with tears in his eyes as he would plead with people, as he would cry out to the lost, be saved, know Jesus, turn away from your sin, he would plead. As he would, he would cry out and, and reach out and build up believers as the church is growing and, and teach them the things of God and reach out to them, always repentance and faith were lifted up. That that was at the heart of the gospel, knowing what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. So if we understand that foundation of what the Apostle Paul shares was at the heart of his ministry for three years in Ephesus, that gives us a foundation as we now approach this letter to the Ephesians and understand how important each word and each phrase is as it points us to this gospel, as it points us to this gospel. So we see in the beginning, as we look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, as I said here, and as many of Paul's letters, it begins with this phrase, Paul, an 
apostle. Paul, an apostle. You see this in Acts chapter 9. This is where in the book of Acts you see this moment where he's on his way to Damascus to destroy the people of God, to destroy the church. He is consumed with one thing, to rid the earth of the person and the work of the name of faith in Jesus Christ. So the Apostle Paul, at this time called Saul, his one passion, his one desire was to take down and destroy the name of Jesus Christ. And in his blindness to God's truth, he thought that was serving God. So he's on his way. But then as we know, Jesus Christ comes to him, blinds him so that he can see knocks him down so that he can rise in the truth, and Jesus speaks to him these gracious words. Acts chapter 9, starting at verse 15. But the Lord said to him, Go. Yes, that's what apostle means, is sent one, ambassador, one who is sent out for a purpose. Go. This is where we see Jesus is coming to Ananias because Ananias is afraid to go to the apostle Paul, to go to Saul, because he knew that Saul was there to destroy the church and destroy Christians. So Jesus Christ is sending Ananias to go and pray for him that his vision will be restored, that he would be baptized and he would become that apostle, that sent one. So here we see where Jesus is sending him. Go, for he, this is speaking about Saul, who's going to become Paul, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, to Jew or Gentile. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So here we see Jesus Christ speaking to Ananias and speaking, therefore, to the whole church. This Saul, I have chosen. I have a purpose. I have a plan. According to the will of my father, he will be my servant. He will be sent out and he will give his life. He will pick up his cross and he will suffer on behalf of the gospel so that all glory of God's grace is lifted up. We have to remember that. When Paul says Paul and apostle, Paul and ambassador, Paul, one who is sent out by God, we have to remember that when Paul was on his way to Damascus, he had absolutely no desire, no interest, no wanting to follow and serve Jesus Christ. Absolutely none. He was completely dead to Jesus Christ. All he had was hatred toward Jesus Christ. 
All he wanted to do was destroy the people of God to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, wham! Knocks him to the ground. Knocks down his pride. Knocks down his rebellion. Knocks down his hatred toward God. And when he rises up, humbled, Jesus calls to him and says, I have called you. You are mine. And you will serve me to give me glory. That's what it means when it says Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. The of Christ Jesus, of the Messiah, of the chosen one of God, of the Savior Jesus, is possession. Paul is an apostle not because he sought that out, not because that was his desire, but no, Jesus, who before the foundation of the world, Paul was chosen for this purpose before Paul was born. Jesus, who died on the cross to pay the debts for Paul's sins. Jesus owns Paul. Jesus is Paul's master. Jesus is Paul's savior. Jesus is Paul's Lord. All Paul is, is is a slave of Jesus Christ. Who God in his grace has sent him out to serve him. So you see the authority that God has given him. Paul, an apostle, an ambassador, has sent out one of, under, Jesus Christ. You see the authority given to Paul in the utter, complete, humble service of Jesus Christ. But this is, this is how we see salvation for every single person. As we understand what it means that Jesus called Paul... We understand this in Acts chapter 22, as Paul recounts when Jesus comes and meets him and saves him. He says this in Acts 22, verse 21, he says this. Paul says, and he said to me, and Jesus said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And again, in Acts 26, where where Paul is reaccounting this time of Jesus saving him and giving him eyes to see and calling him as an apostle, we see where he gives the most detail, Acts 26, starting at verse 15. This is Paul sharing this testimony. He says, And I said, Who are you, Lord? This is when he's blinded on the ground. Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said to me, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint, there it is, to call, to to show you that you have been chosen before the foundation of the world for this purpose. For this purpose to appoint you as a servant 
as a slave is a better a better terminology of the Greek there as a slave and witness to the things in which you have seen me and those in which I will appear to you. Delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. There it is again. And what's the purpose of Paul being an apostle of Jesus Christ? It's this, verse 18. To open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins. Remember there in Acts 20 where Paul was speaking to the elders from Ephesus? What was it that every day from house to house and in public every moment he was lifting up? Repentance to God and faith. Here we see this is the very message that he is made an apostle for. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. As we continue going through the letter to the church in Ephesus, We understand this main theme that lifts up, and it is God's sovereignty, His will, His power, His plan, His purpose. We see that in our passage today, where Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, and why is he an apostle? By the will of God. By the purpose, the plan, the will of God Almighty, God in His sovereignty. This is His plan. This is His will. And this is His desire. That's why in Galatians 1.1, Paul sums up his apostleship in this way. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Here we see that everything comes about ultimately because of God's sovereign will and purpose. This understanding of God's will means his good pleasure, his good desire. And just as God comes and saves Paul and makes him an apostle, we see how ultimately how each and every one of us come to salvation. When Jesus came to Lazarus' tomb, and Lazarus stinketh, he's been dead for all these days. When Jesus comes to his tomb, he doesn't stand there and say, Lazarus, I hope you want to come out. Lazarus, I'm just waiting for you. Lazarus, I... I hope you can I hope you can just make that that ultimate choice there and come out Lazarus No when Jesus comes before the tomb of Lazarus he says Lazarus come out Poor Lazarus comes comes out he's wrapped up He says take the cloths off of him 
I don't think he even fully knows what happened to him. He comes stumbling out of that tomb, wrapped up and still bound in the garments. But death could not hold him down when Jesus calls his name and tells him to come out. That's the same Jesus that comes to Saul on his way in hatred and rebellion against God. And Jesus Christ blinds him and knocks him down and says, you are mine and I am sending you to proclaim the gospel of the glory of God's grace. That's it. End of story. And that's how God lovingly comes and calls the name of each and every one of his children. And he says to us, come out of your sin. Come out of your rebellion against God. Come out of your death and come into life. Come into forgiveness and come into grace. God's wonderful grace. So we see that established when we look at these words, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is above everything. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And all Paul is is an ambassador for the king. Therefore, all that Paul can teach is what has been taught to him from the king. All that Paul can preach is what he's been instructed in from the king. The only way that Paul can then live is how the king wants him to live. That's what it means when he says he is an apostle of Jesus Christ, who is over him and over all things. And all things finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. So as we understand those words, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, then we see now he focuses his attention on the church in Ephesus. And that's verse 2. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. It's a beautiful statement. Because first you have the word saints giving, the holy ones, the set apart ones. And there you see who we are in God's understanding and his calling, who we are objectively in Jesus Christ. We are set apart. We are holy. And this is completely, absolutely a work done by God according to his will where he takes us and sets us apart. Sets us apart. You know, it's an interesting thing. We have this from Cammie's grandmother, this china cabinet. Oh, this impressive structure of wood and glass. We have this china cabinet, and you know what you're supposed to put in your china cabinet your most precious, precious things. Things so precious you don't want anyone to touch. And the most fragile and precious you put on the top shelves of the china cabinet. So not only can you not touch them, 
most people can't even see them. So you put them in the highest place of honor, out of sight, out of mind, out of touch, to preserve them. But what's amazing here is God comes and he makes us alive, makes us holy, sets us apart, but then we are thrust, we are still in this world, and we are still in the midst of all the brokenness and hurting and rebellion all around us. We are still on this heaven and this earth, but we are to shine like stars in the midst of a crooked and wicked generation. That's how precious we are. But God sends us out throughout the world in the midst of all the common, ordinary things. But because we, though we are broken jars, have a treasure that is priceless within us, that is Jesus Christ. And we are to display that. So we are holy and set apart. Not to be locked away in the china cabinet, but to be used each and every day for the purposes of God. So that's who we are objectively. And then the second part of that, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful. There's there's our response. There's our faith. Who are faithful, who have faith in Jesus Christ, who respond in faith. We've been made alive to call out to God. Remember that message of repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. So God sets us apart and he makes us alive so that we can respond in faith. It's beautiful. It captures there God's objective, sovereign work and our response, which has been given to us as a gift in Jesus Christ. And then you have a summary of the gospel. Grace to you and peace. Grace to you and peace. From God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we go through the book of Ephesians, you will see that we are saved by the Father, by the Son, and by the Holy Spirit. Our salvation, our sanctification, our glorification is all an act of the triune God. It's all an act of a triune God. And as we walk through the book of Ephesians, we will see how that's always central for the Apostle Paul as he lifts up the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, in the work of salvation. But as we contemplate this understanding of grace and peace, that truly sums up everything. As we will see, the whole purpose of everything is that we would glorify God that he is a God of grace for the glory of his grace. So that ultimately is what we see in Jesus Christ is grace. 
we are saved by grace. By grace we are saved. Jesus dies for us when we are still sinners. Jesus saves Paul when he is still a sinner. That's grace. Jesus goes and he dies on the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do when they are still hurling insults and mocking him. We are saved by grace. And what is the purpose of this grace? To display God's love and that we can finally be at peace with God. At peace. It's important to pray for peace. Throughout the world, there are wars and conflicts. There's terror. There's so much turmoil, so much division in the world, in our nation. So much fighting. So we pray for peace. We pray for peace in the world. We pray for peace in our nation. We pray for peace in our families. We pray for peace in our marriages. We pray for peace with, with our children. We pray for peace with co-workers, with neighbors. We're, it's good to pray for peace. We desire to have peace. But ultimately... What the Apostle Paul is lifting up here is the main area that we all need peace with is peace with a holy, just God. That unless we believe in Jesus Christ, we repent, turn from our sins, believe and trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are at war with God. But God displays his grace to show that in Jesus Christ, we can be at peace. Again, when Jesus calls Lazarus out of the tomb, he is dead. And Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And they unwrap him. You have this beautiful image later of them eating together. It's this fellowship. It's a beautiful thing. God saves us so that the glory of His grace is lifted up, His love is lifted up, and so that we can have peace with Him. And that is a peace that passes all understanding. So that's my hope and prayer for each and every one of us. As we enter into this beautiful letter, God's word, inspired, infallible, sufficient, and true, as we enter into this, we will see the gospel. We will know the gospel. And we will live the gospel. We will understand what it means that God has called us, made us alive, in Jesus Christ, according to the will of God, so that we can give him glory and we can give him honor. God is a God of grace, and there is a way of peace, and it's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, we thank you.
we thank you for this wonderful letter to the church in Ephesus. Father, we pray that as we begin to enter into these words that that you will just guide us ever closer to you. That we would see you more clearly. That we would hear you more truly. And that you would use our thoughts, word, and actions to give glory to you and you alone. In Christ's wonderful name, amen.